Hey, coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, I'm going to get a little bold. I'm going to tell you how to liberate your mind, what you need to start 2020 strong. Six principles of acceptance and commitment therapy from the new book, A Liberated Mind by Dr. Stephen Hayes, one of the founders of acceptance and commitment therapy, and uh, kind of throwing out a little guarantee here. The things you're going to hear today will definitely take you into the new year feeling like you can kind of live the life that you've always dreamed of. I know, cheesy, but stay with me. Coming up on The Virtual Couch. Okay, before we get started today, I believe I am going to present to you my very favorite email of all time with regard to BetterHelp.com. And it reads, Tony, I get it. You have a book. (laughs) Sorry, that makes me laugh right out of the gate. But what's with not airing the BetterHelp.com info before your podcasts? I feel feel like I'm talking talking to text. I wanted to tell you that there was a question mark after that. But anyway, back to the email. I found BetterHelp.com thanks to your ads before your podcast. Thanks to BetterHelp.com, I was able to find someone that could help me understand and deal better with my ADHD. I would love it if you would continue to air the BetterHelp.com ads before your podcast because that is the way that you are going to continue to help more people. I know the book is going to be good and I plan on getting it when it's in electronic format. Don't get me wrong. I really want to hear you and your co-authors take on pornography, addiction, and betrayal trauma, but I don't want that necessarily laying around on my coffee table. Do you see why I love this email? So, I can't wait to get the book, and I promise you I will write a wonderful review when I do. But for now, can you make sure and put the BetterHelp.com ad before your podcast because it has literally changed my life. I was going to do it again. I was going to say period. Before I heard your ad, I had never been to a therapist. And quite frankly, I was going to go to my grave without ever going to therapy. But thanks to BetterHelp.com, I really was able to quickly find someone that I have fit with who can help me with my ADHD. Thank you for all of the work that you do. And please let other people know that BetterHelp.com can literally change their life. And P.S., it's pretty affordable. Okay. Thank you for that email. Now you can understand why I really wanted to read that one. And uh, in particular, he talks about ADHD, and that's something that we're talking about on today's podcast. Um, I guess I just made this ad a non-evergreen. So if you hear this one and the next the episode is not about ADHD, please know that I just got a little bit lazy and put this one before because I really like the content of this email. But you'll enjoy the, the, the episode, whatever is coming up next. But go check out what over 500,000 people have already done before. Sign up now by going to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, V-I-R-T-U-A-L-C-O-U-C-H, and get the help that you need or that you didn't even know that you needed today. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network. As you heard in this email, you can find somebody that knows the speaks fluent ADHD or people that work with OCD, anxiety, depression, you name it. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log on to your account at any time and send a message to your counselor and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. And you can schedule weekly video phone sessions. You won't, have to sit in a, you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp will assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and oftentimes you can start communicating in under 24 hours, which I will tell you that can be difficult. There are times where I may not be able to get somebody in for a few weeks. So in under 24 hours is, is incredible. 
Um, and if you do go through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, you'll receive 10% off your first month's services. So what are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself at the very least to just go check it out. Go ahead, pause the podcast right now and go do it. I'm not going anywhere, but I think you are going to enjoy today's episode. So once again, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Try it today. special bonus episode. More on that in a minute. But I am still your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner, and co-author of the now best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict to Answer Your Questions, in which I play the role of the expert, and I'm the creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography, any type of compulsive sexual behavior behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based hold the shame become the person you always knew you could be way. Then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make while trying to get rid of pornography once and for all. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And uh, make it real quick, please visit Virtual Couch on Instagram. Doing a little weekly question and answers, a little Instagram TV, so follow along there. And you can find the Virtual Couch page on Facebook, as well as Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist on Facebook as well. And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor and rate, review, subscribe, share, pass along. Um, I'd be grateful for whatever you are willing to do to continue to get the word out. So why a special bonus episode? I actually woke up this morning and I just kind of felt that uh, I, had to, I had to do this one. I'm not trying to sound very dramatic with that, more of like I had to do it as in I was super excited to do it. And uh, I was thinking about this. I wrote down three reasons and that they might even grow as I kind of start talking about them. First, acceptance and commitment therapy. It is something that I absolutely love. I talk about often. And there's a new book that I was um, pointed toward, and it is by one of the founders of acceptance and commitment therapy, Dr. Stephen Hayes. And the book is called A Liberated Mind, How to Pivot Toward What Matters. And I'm going to get back to that in a second. As a matter of fact, the majority of the podcast is going to be focused on um, six principles of acceptance and commitment therapy. And they really are some things that I think if you, if you kind of have a moment today, this morning, as you're listening to this podcast, it's, it'll, it'll, I mean, I don't want to be too dramatic, but it's going to, it'll be a little bit life, uh, life altering, paradigm shifting. But I mean, it's, I think it's going to inspire some hope. So I want to get to that. I, that's been on my mind a lot. But second, um, a couple of weeks ago, some, uh, I would call them friends, Rich and Celeste Davis, they're hosts of the Marriage Therioke podcast. Um, they released the best of season one episode. <clears throat> and and I'll, I'll be honest, I was listening to it and, I, and they're talking about the things that they enjoyed from their season, their podcast of Marriage Therioke. And if you haven't listened to Marriage Therioke, it's, it's really fun. I mean, it's very informative, but it's also fun. Example, I was on early in the year, early in 2019, I think it's episode 17, and we talked about narcissism. So they took the song by Carly Simon, You're So Vain, and the, before they even had me on, they broke it down, and, and it was hilarious. I never knew what a cravat was. Um, that's actually one of the words in the lyric. Go look it up. And now I can't uh, I sing that uh, part of the lyric often. And then they brought me on to talk about the struggles of being in a relationship with a narcissist. And, and I realize as I'm saying that, 
Um, I'm not saying that as if I am in a relationship with the narcissist. Um, my wife is actually the exact opposite of a narcissist. She's a kind, caring, empathetic person who I just think is the greatest person that I've ever been around. Um, so, so it wasn't coming from that angle. But I happen to work. That's uh, one of my specialties is working with people who may be in relationships with people that are struggling with a personality disorder, such as narcissistic personality disorder, even people with narcissistic tendencies or traits. So they had me on to talk about it, and and I you know I didn't think that's like a uh, kind of a big catch-all topic. So as I'm listening to their best of episode, they get to the, almost the very end. They've talked about a couple of other guests they've had, and and I I really wasn't thinking, oh man, they didn't talk about me. And then they save at the end. They they talked about one of their favorite interviews, and it was the one that we did. And then they shared about seven or eight minutes of a clip where uh, I, I just kind of break down not just what narcissism can look like in a relationship, but what how it can kind of destroy um, someone's kind of sense of self in a relationship. And so they just played a a quote where I kind of laid out what marriage maybe should be and what marriage, um, maybe isn't, uh, and not what not what's not a good marriage. What a marriage should not be. And I know I say sometimes that uh, you you shouldn't should on someone, but uh, you really should go make sure that you are doing all you can to get the help you need. If you're in a marriage or a relationship that is not something that that edifies each other, that if you know if you feel like you've lost a sense of yourself over the years, that is definitely not how a marriage is supposed to be. So I talked a little bit about that. They played a seven or eight minute clip. And uh, so I've, I've gotten a lot of people kind of heading back over to the podcast because of that. And then this morning, Wednesday, whatever the date is, December 18th, um, Monica Packer re-released an episode of her amazing podcast as well called About Progress. And she she is re... <clears throat> excuse me. I, I promised myself I would not edit this this morning. I want to just kind of carry, carry on. So still having a little bit of leftovers of my voice being gone last week. But Monica re-released an, a version or an episode that we did called how to how to stop hating yourself and she re-edited it she kind of talks about that on hers but again I, I mean i'm super honored talk about imposter syndrome all these sort of wonderful things but she said it was her her favorite episode of 2019 and that it uh, has changed some ways that she kind of thinks about herself and ways to take action and so she re-aired that that's this morning i, I can't stand listening to my own voice on uh, podcasts but I, I did give it a listen this morning, and I'm just grateful for the nice things that she said. And on that podcast, we talk about acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's one of those things where even as somebody who deals with this every day, who works with that being me, um, works with acceptance and commitment therapy concepts and skills every day, I, I even look at what I talked about a year ago with Monica and in some of the things that I've even gleaned from this new book by Dr. Hayes. And that's part of what led me to just say, man, you know, I, I really appreciated Monica airing we talked about acceptance and commitment therapy, and we talked about another passion of mine. It's something I call the emotional baseline. So I highly encourage you to go listen to that episode on her podcast. But then, you know, maybe pause this, go listen to that one, but then come back over here, and uh, I want to kind of go into more detail on acceptance and commitment therapy. I gave a lot more kind of real-world examples in her podcast, but I want to jump in and talk about these six key or core principles of acceptance and commitment therapy. And in this new book by Dr. Stephen Hayes, I just feel he lays it out, I I, I keep wanting to say beautifully, and he lays it out in a way that's very easily understandable. So I'm going to jump right in and I'm going to get through those six core principles of acceptance and commitment therapy, maybe throw an example or two. But before I do that, I'll just say very quickly, Dr. Hayes is a professor of psychology at the University of Nevada, Reno, which is only a couple of hours up the road from me. And I have not reached out to him and tried to have him on my podcast. So that is something I really want to do. But he's the author of 43 books, more than 600 
scientific articles. Um, he served as the president of the Association of Behavioral and Cognitive Therapy and the Association of Contextual Behavioral Science. And he literally is one of the most cited psychologists in the world. And he initiated the development of acceptance and commitment therapy and of this amazing kind of thing behind the scenes called relational frame theory, which is really about how we all um, our relationship of how we frame words. And that is at the core of so much of the marriage therapy that I do of where someone can say a word and it means something completely different to both parties. And then they kind of make these assumptions based on what that word means to them. And then they don't have the tools to necessarily express what they're feeling. And oftentimes that's what leads to breakdowns in communication. So this whole concept even of relational frame theory is pretty amazing. But then Dr. Hayes then, as I say, initiated the development of acceptance and commitment therapy. And I'll just, I'll try to my best to just start calling it ACT so that I can save a few words there. Let me just read you the the information, the uh, description, that's the word I'm looking for, of the book off of Amazon. It says in this landmark book, the originator and pioneering researcher into acceptance and commitment therapy, also known as ACT, lays out the psychological flexibility skills that have made it one of the most powerful approaches research has yet to offer. These skills have been shown to help even where other approaches have failed. Science shows that they are useful in virtually every area. Mental health, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, eating disorders, PTSD, and physical health with chronic pain, dealing with diabetes, facing cancer, social processes from relationship issues, prejudice, stigma, domestic violence, and performance, sports, business, diet, and exercise. And I know that sounds like a bold claim, and even uh, Dr. Hayes in the book says that he knows it's a bold claim, but he says he has the data, the research um, to back it up. And I can tell you that this acceptance and commitment therapy model has has 100% changed the way that I do therapy over the last five, six years. And, and it is in, and in a very, very good results-based way. So he goes on in the introduction to say, how does psychological flexibility help? We struggle because the problem-solving mind tells us to run from what causes us fear and hurt. But we hurt where we care. If we run from a sense of vulnerability, we must also run from what we care about. So by learning how to liberate ourselves, we can live with meaning and purpose along with our pain when there is pain. And and I, I know some of this is going to sound cliched or just uh, touchy-feely. It might sound ambiguous, but just stay with me on this episode. We'll try to kind of make this um, more tangible. So he says, along with, along that is a, although that is a simple idea, it resists our instincts and programming. The flexibility skills counter those ingrained tendencies. They include noticing our thoughts with curiosity, opening to our emotions, attending to what is in the present, learning the art of perspective taking, discovering our deepest values, and building habits based around what we deeply want. And uh, here's the part that I wasn't aware of and what I found so fascinating about this book. Yeah, it says, beginning with the epiphany Stephen Hayes had during a panic attack, this book is a powerful narrative of scientific discovery filled with moving stories as well as advice for how we can put flexibility skills to work immediately. Hayes shows how allowing ourselves to feel fully and think freely moves us toward commitment to truly what matters to us. And finally, we can live lives that reflect the qualities that we choose. And, and there is absolute power in, uh, in moving toward those things that have been frightening to us. Um, and, and how to learn how to feel and kind of stay in that moment, but then have kind of change your relationship with your thoughts, with your emotions. And, uh, and I think what this really speaks to, and I've done a few episodes on this, and I probably deal with this, you know, not, not to sound again dramatic, but on a daily basis where people will hear motivational talks or speeches or podcasts, or they'll read books that really talk about 
you know, changing a mindset, which I, I, I appreciate and I know that it can work. But oftentimes that change will kind of sound something like this. Somebody's pretty down, they're depressed, and they just say, okay, forget it. Starting tomorrow, I got to change my whole attitude and I am going to choose to be happy. How many times have we said that? You wake up the next day and you're like, I'm on it. You know, and, I, and then you get up and it's like, I'm just going to keep focusing on the positive. And then, and then life happens and you, you know, you kind of fall into certain patterns. There are certain triggers that you didn't see coming and you can kind of start to get down on yourself or beat yourself up. And then you even get mad about the fact that you said, man, I was going to be happy today. And now I'm, I'm, I'm mad, you know, or I'm sad or I don't want to do the things that I, I wanted to do last night when they sounded good. And so, you know, here comes that what's wrong with me story in my brain. And that is so normal. And that's the part where, and, and man, you know, let me just get into these six, uh, these six principles of act, because there's a couple of things that uh, really dig into what that, what that's all about of this, what's wrong with me. You know, if I can't stay happy, if I can't just focus on the positive, if I can't just turn toward, you know, always being pleasant, then there must be something wrong with me. Well, here's the key. There's not. And we're going to talk about that. So um, let me just kind of start with one of, uh, this is a speech that I love to give. And it's one where the big shift for me was in working in the field of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. And, and Dr. Hayes is pretty bold in this book where he kind of challenges or, or kind of points out some of the real challenges with cognitive behavioral therapy. And, uh, and I love that he, you know, he says it so much better than I can, but he also echoes that, that point where it, it, it works for, for, for a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of data on cognitive behavioral therapy as well. And I know that they're very, very good cognitive behavioral therapists. What cognitive behavioral therapy says, and this is in such general terms, is it says that your thoughts lead to your emotions and your emotions lead to your behaviors. And, and it kind of works from this basis of that, you know, we kind of need to take a look at those thoughts as somewhat irrational or automatically negative, that our brain has kind of come to this point in our life where you, you're going to look at things a little more negatively because of whether it's some childhood experiences you've had or whether it's fears or whether it's whatever it is that's holding you back. Those are automatic negative thoughts. And there's some really clever things like the automatic negative thought, ant, you know, um, the acronym, stomp out the ants, or they call it your stinking thinking. And so the concept is that, if, you know, when you identify that you're having one of these irrational thoughts or automatically negative thoughts to, to kind of take a look at the, another, another view of what that situation is. One of my go-to examples of this is working with someone at one point who had lost a lot of weight and they were struggling with some social anxiety. So when, when they came to me and I was a cognitive behavioral therapist, like nobody's business at that time, we identified when he would walk into a room, and I think this is the clearest example, he, people would look over at him. And it, whether it's just that he opened the door or he was, here comes the new guy in the room, but they would look at him. And so his mind would immediately say, they are, they're making fun of me. They're criticizing me and they're judging me. And so that, that was his thought that led to an emotion of feeling pretty bad, uh, guilt, shame, you know, fear, sadness. And then those emotions led to the behavior of literally him turning around and leaving the room. So cognitive behavioral therapy would have, and we did this, we dug a little bit deeper. We found out that there was this kind of, you know, childhood uh, issues where he was extremely overweight as a child. And when he would walk into a room, people would look at him and they would stare and they would make fun of him. So, you know, now we were looking at that as that was a, that was an automatic negative thought, or that was a, a, you know, that wasn't the case anymore. So you were supposed to kind of take a look at what are some other reasons that people could have been looking at you? Number one, they might not be looking at you. Number two, they, uh, they might be looking at you because they're happy to see you or, or it might be because you look great or it, you know, any of these other reasons. So the theory there is that 
I walk in the room, I feel like everyone's looking at me. You know, there's that thought, you know, I, I, I kind of think that everybody's looking at me. Then I feel that emotion. Before I get any further, I step back and I say, okay, I need to take a look at this differently. You know, maybe they're not looking at me. The theory is that that would lead to a different emotion or, or not that maybe they're not looking at me, but maybe one of those other options where they're looking at me because they, they are happy to see me or they think that I look great or, you know, whatever it is. And that's supposed to lead to an emotion of, all right, I feel okay, and a behavior of I can enter the room. What you find, or what I found, is it really works, and it sounds so great in a session. It really does. And then person gets out into the wild, and they go into the next room um, on another day, and then they all of a sudden have a little bit of an anxiety or a panic attack because they feel like, okay, they're looking at me again. I know I'm supposed to think that there's other reasons why, but I know I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of freaking out. And then they get to do the what's wrong with me story in their brain. So what acceptance and commitment therapy says is um, you have all of the thoughts and emotions and feelings and all of those things that you do because you are you. You're the only you out there. And uh, this boils down to they call them your private experiences. And, and here's the speech I love to give. It's you're the only person in the world that has your unique set of experiences, meaning nature, nurture, DNA, birth order, abandonment, rejection, fears, losses, um, people who have left you, people who have had to move, uh, everything, everything that makes you uniquely you, that's what goes into your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings and all of those things. So here's why you have that thought or emotion when you enter that room and you think that people are looking at you and it gives you social anxiety because you're human. Because you're you, because you've had all of those experiences that lead you up to that moment. There's nothing wrong with you. I mean, they're, they're, you know, that's, that's, the, that's just the data we're working with. So that alone is so liberating and freeing to just say, you know, you know people will say, I mean, I know, I know it's crazy to say this. And it's like, no, it's not. If you're, whatever you're saying right now is where you're at. You know, it's based on the experiences that you've had. So I'm grateful that you're willing to share that with me. So there's the first step of acceptance and commitment therapy that I absolutely love. So let me kind of get to these, um, these six core principles. I'm going to read a lot. And I'm giving, obviously, Dr. Stephen Hayes credit for every bit of this. And I'll try to add some of my own thoughts and uh, experiences here. And we're going we're gonna to get through this quick. So he says that, and this is from the book, A Liberated Mind. He says, uh, as I'll introduce here in part one of the book, ACT research not only illuminated how our symbolic thinking, um, our symbolic thinking talents lead to these difficult consequences, but also discovered methods for freeing us from their negative effects. He said, we discovered that psychological flexibility involves six skills and building each of these involves its own specific kind of pivot away from rigid mental processes. I think that's one of our problems. We get this stuck in these rigid mental processes. He said, so the big pivot fostered by ACT is really six specific pivots, which combine to enable us to live with more psychological flexibility. So, and he talks a lot about the concept of a pivot. And he even said that he believes that, you know, change, that change literally can be as, as quick as you can be walking in one direction and then just on the on your heels pivot and go another direction. And it really can be that liberating. Our brain will continue to try to get us to go back in the direction that we're used to going. But once again, when you recognize these, these principles we're going to talk about, it does lead to a pretty, I won't just say easy pivot, but a pretty empowering pivot back to the things that really matter. So he said, um, central to understanding why the pivots are so powerful is that each of the rigid ways in which our mind traps us in unhealthy patterns of thinking and behaving contains a healthy yearning hidden deep within it. 
He said we're doing the wrong things, but for the right reasons, because we want our lives to have important qualities. The flexibility pivots allow us to redirect that hidden yearning toward a more open and flexible way of being that can actually satisfy this yearning inside of us. He said we can then continue to develop our flexibility skills so that we're able to stay on the course of living according to our values and aspirations. So here are those six core principles of acceptance and commitment therapy. The very first one is called diffusion. This one is incredible. So, um, and, and he throws a sentence or two right after the, the principle and then gives a really good definition. That's really what I'm excited to talk about. So in diffusion, he said it requires pivoting from cognitive fusion, we'll talk about that, to diffusion. It redirects this yearning for coherence and understanding. What does that mean? Here we go. So Dr. Hayes says cognitive fusion means buying into what your thoughts tell you, taking them literally, word for word, and letting what they say overdetermine what you do. This trick of mind happens because we are programmed to notice the world only as structured by thought. We see the terrible this or the awful that, but we miss the fact that we are thinking. And I want to just pause on that. We miss the fact that we are thinking. Thinking. These are just thoughts. We have so many of them that go through our mind at any given time. Go back and listen to the episode I did a couple of weeks ago on mindfulness. I tell an example of a story of uh, driving along in this little uh, um, VW bug and how I can go from one moment where I have these amazing thoughts. Somebody comes upon me quickly from behind and my I latch onto these just ridiculous thoughts that have me all of a sudden... Uh, just feeling so incredibly down. And that happened within the span, talk about a pivot, within the span of a few seconds. So you can, and you can get out of that as well. So um, back to this, he said, so we miss the fact that we're thinking in our attempts to have the world make sense. We judge our experiences and then we buy into the judgment instead of realizing that it is a judgment to begin with. So the flip side of fusion is seeing thoughts as they actually are. They're ongoing attempts at meaning making. And I love that. Your brain is constantly trying to make sense of, meaning making. And then choose, so let me, st- let me start back. When I pause in the middle of a sentence, I can lose the context. The flip side of fusion is seeing thoughts as they actually are, ongoing attempts at meaning making, and then choosing to give them power only to the degree that they genuinely serve us. This flexibility skill involves just noticing the act of thinking without diving in. So, so he says our made-up word for just noticing is diffusion. With this ability to distance from our thoughts, we can begin to free ourselves from our negative thought networks. And this is where I like to use this phrase, you know, oh, I see what you're doing, brain. You know, and, and it's just a matter of there are so many thoughts going through our minds that then why do we attach to certain thoughts? In this example of this is a Volkswagen bug, <clears throat> and I'll spare you the long version of it, but I'm happy I'm not happy about the bug. I had kind of gotten taken to the cleaners in this bug. It wasn't what I thought it would be. It was a money pit. I shouldn't have even been driving it. I had it for one of my daughters. But I'm driving home and I was just feeling in the moment. I was feeling good. I was just kind of um, appreciating everything around me. And a car came up behind me really fast, a really nice car. And just quickly, my mind went to this, man, you're, you, you're a crummy dad. Like you buy this ridiculous bug for your daughter. It doesn't even work. Um, you've spent so much money on it. Why, you know, you, you let the salesman get to you. Why didn't you, why didn't you, uh, you took it on one little test drive. You don't know anything about cars. You know, that questions your manhood. There were so many thoughts that just came rushing in. They're all just thoughts. That's all they are. And if I attach to those thoughts, if I fuse to those thoughts, then I'm buying into the whole judgment that goes along with them. But being able to step back and go, oh man, I see what you're doing, brain. You're trying to, you're trying to hook me on this, uh, I'm a crummy person story. Well, I'm not, that, that one doesn't do anything for me. I mean, I know that one doesn't make me better. So I'm going to be able to defuse 
you know, just notice that thought, defuse from that thought and go, oh, I see what it is. Can I just get back to the thoughts that I really appreciate? The ones that bring me home, feeling like the man, like dad's home, everybody's excited. So let's move on to number two. It's called the self. So that number one, again, was, was diffusion. Number two is self. It says requires pivoting from allegiance to a conceptualized sense of self or our ego to a perspective-taking self. It redirects the yearning for belonging connection. This one, you know, again, hang with me on all of these. He says, in the simplest sense, what I mean when I'm talking about your conceptualized self is your ego, your stories about who you are and who others are in relation to you. So inside of our stories, he says, we note what is special about us, our special skills, our special needs, and we hope that this will earn us a place in the group. He said, we all have these stories and held lightly, they can even be helpful. However, when we hold tightly to them, it becomes difficult to be honest with ourselves or to make room for other thoughts or feelings or behaviors that would benefit others and ourselves, but that don't fit the story. In this event, the conceptualized self leads us to defend these stories as if our life depends on it. And that creates alienation, not true connection. So when we buy into this, um, you know, this, these stories about us, I mean, we're constantly are telling these stories about us. So back to this Volkswagen example, I mean, I started telling myself all kinds of stories, stories of that all of a sudden now I'm not a good dad or all of a sudden now the fact that I can't, you know, wrench a, under a car makes me a bad person or that now all of a sudden the story is, you know, cause the stories that I was, I was, you know, stuck on is I'm, I'm a great dad. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm positive. I'm on top of things. I, I, I lift people up around me. So, you know, like, like he said, if we have these stories and, and, you know, if we kind of can be honest with ourselves to make room for other thoughts and feelings, I mean, other thoughts and feelings, honest to goodness. I mean, I, I sure I could have uh, been a lot more, I had been more aware and buying the car, but the truth was I, I kind of did what I did based on the things that I knew at that moment. So I had to kind of make room for the fact that, yeah, this wasn't a good deal on a car. Sure. It breaks down. Absolutely. I've spent some money on it, but that doesn't change the story that I really find important to me of the one of being a, a, a good dad or a good husband or somebody that can, um, tries to lift others. We can get caught up in these stories at any moment throughout the day and just think, you know, and, and once we stick to one of these stories or fuse to one of these stories, then that can really change our mood. Again, talk about a pivot. It can change our mood or our emotion in a moment, in just a mere second. So equally, it, it can be said that we can get back to those those positive stories, those ones that really do mean something to us. So he says that here's the alternative is to connect more deeply with a perspective-taking self or a sense of observing, witnessing, or being purely aware. Talk about mindfulness here, right? This sense of self allows us to see that we are more than the stories we tell ourselves, more than what our mind says. And we also see that we are connected in consciousness to all of humanity. So we belong not because we're special, but because we're human. We're all going around having this human experience. This, I, he, I should get back to what he was saying. Um, but he says, not because we're special, but because we belong, not because we're special, but because we're human. And he says, some people think of this as a transcendent or a spiritual sense of self. It's one where we are all in this thing together and all we bring to it is the experiences that we have. No judgment. You know, that's just, that's kind of what we're bringing to the table. So, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this kind of sense of self, this conceptualized self is the ego. And we want to take on more of this perspective taking self of just being able to observe whether it's our thoughts, our actions, step back and observe yourself. They, some call it self as context. You know, you view yourself in the context of that moment. Number three, this one is big. I love it. It's, it's acceptance. So he says acceptance requires pivoting from experiential avoidance 
to acceptance. It redirects the yearning to feel. Experiential avoidance. You know, this is one of these where I think it's a, it's a great concept to really wrap your head around. Experiential avoidance is the process by which we run from or attempt to control our personal experiences, meaning our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations. Again, let that sink in. We typically try to run from or control our thoughts, our feelings, or our sensations, as well as the external events that give rise to them. All the way from going to a party or trying to cope with the death of a loved one, we do this because our mind tells us that it's an easy way to avoid pain in order to, you know, basically where, and I'm kind of inserting my point in here, is that, you know, we we do these things. We try to control our thoughts or our feelings or our sensations because we feel like if we can control them, we can avoid pain. And we're trying to avoid pain at all costs. But he also says, so he says, when we do this, um, our minds tell us it's an easy way to avoid pain and we'll be able to feel freely only when we feel good. So that's why we're always just seeking after this good. What, when, when can I feel good? You know, what will make me feel good? But oftentimes, when we're seeking just what is going to make me feel good, we are, we're not dealing with the issue. We're not dealing with the emotion. And we don't even know how to, to kind of let that emotion kind of sit with us or that feeling or that sensation sit with us. So um, he says, avoidance typically only compounds our difficulties and restricts our capacity to feel at all. Absolutely, it does. If we continue to just turn to the coping or the numbing out, you know, we're 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 just we're just not dealing with something that we can not only learn to deal with or make room for, but once we kind of or we're able to process whatever this this feeling, maybe it's a sad feeling or a um, you know an anxious feeling, and when we learn how to kind of sit with that, make room for it, then we start to recognize that hey, we're 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 bigger than this. You know, we're we're we can still kind of work or pivot toward things that are important to us. He said that acceptance is the full embrace of our personal experience in an empowered, not in a victimized state. It's choosing to feel with openness and curiosity so that you can live the kind of life you want to live while inviting your feelings to come along for a ride. I love that. They can come with me, but I'm going to continue to work toward things that are important to me. So if one of my core values is just being, being a good parent, you know, being a wonderful husband, then I can have these feelings of, you know, if I... Uh, if I if I let my wife down, it's going to feel icky, and I'm going to want to go turn to some coping mechanism or run away from it. But it's okay to feel. I can feel that. I'm human, and it doesn't mean that I have to fuse to this. I, I blew it. I'm a horrible husband. Or those are just those are just thoughts that are just going through my mind. I'm going to continue to act on this value of being being a good husband. So my my feelings, emotions, they're they're welcome to come along with me. I'll make room for them. I'll acknowledge them. They're they're right there. But, but I'm not going to fuse to those, those feelings or thoughts, you know, if they aren't helpful for me. So he said, as a result of the acceptance pivot, the focus moves from feeling good to feeling good. And then the, I hope you can kind of see the difference there. Number four is presence. Um, Dr. Hayes says, presence requires pivoting from rigid attention driven by the past and future to flexible attention in the now. It redirects the yearning for orientation. This is going to make a lot of sense, I promise. He says, the processes of rigid attention show up as ruminating about the past or worrying about the future or mindlessly disappearing into our current experience the way teenagers disappear into video games. As we struggle with life's challenges, we often fear becoming lost. Again, we don't want to feel like we don't know what we're doing. So we tend to look to the past and the future to become oriented. And think about that. So a lot of times we think, yeah, but this is what I've done in the past. 
I mean, okay, you know, in acceptance and commitment therapy, I like to say, all right, I'm not even arguing that that's the that's your and your that's your past experience. Noted, you know, we'll note that for the record. Um, but we're not going to fuse or hook to that, you know. So see, this is what I've done in the past. It's like great. Um, all right, let's get to the present moment because that's all we really have control of. So he says, uh, or or think about this in the future. It's like okay, but what if I can't do it? You know, what if I put myself out there and it doesn't work? It's like okay, noted. You know, it, we're not even arguing if it might not work or you might not be good at it or, or that sort of thing. And but let's deal with the present right now. We'll deal with the future when when we get there. So he says, yeah. So instead, um, so let me go read the sentence again. As we struggle with life's challenges, we often fear becoming lost, and we tend to look to the past and future to become oriented. But instead, we find ourselves in a mental fog of what was or what will be when there is really only what is. And I used to be the guy that would hear that sentence and I go, oh, geez, you know, all right, uh, you know, yoga master or whatever, uh, you know, mindfulness guru, but. Man, it, it makes sense. All we have is right now. This is it. What's in front of you? Here and now. So he says, flexible attention in the now or being present means choosing to pay attention to experiences here and now that are helpful or meaningful. If they're not, then choosing to move on to other useful events that are in the now rather than being caught in mindless attraction or revulsion. So noticing those stories my brain's trying to hook me to from the past or noticing those stories my brain's trying to, you know, hook me to about the future, the what ifs. Fine, you know, the what if, you bet, that might be true. Or what I did in the past, absolutely. That All right, not even debating that that happened or not. But it, what, what can I do right now? So this, I mean, it leads so perfectly to this next part. This is so powerful. Number five, values. Values requires pivoting from socially compliant goals to chosen values. It redirects the yearning for self-direction and purpose. This one, value part is mind-blowing. So he says, people often attempt to achieve goals because they feel that they have to. That's significant. They feel they have to, well, I'm supposed to care about these certain things. Otherwise, you know, if we don't do this, people we care about or whose views we care about would be displeased. Or they will be dis- or that you know, he's saying, or they'll be disappointed in themselves. So the, the the fear is that if I don't do this goal, this socially compliant goal that someone else expects of me, then I'm going to let other people down, and I'm going to let myself down. But the key is, these are goals that are other people have kind of put out there for you. And I always say, if you're doing a goal that's not based on your own value, it's going to kind of feel more like a rule. And, and inevitably, when it when you don't necessarily have the buy-in. Then here comes your brain telling you you blew it or what's wrong with you or you can't even do that. Well, you know, it's not anything, it's not always something that, that's necessarily passion, passionate for you. This is this next uh, couple of lines, or, or these are one of those where I feel like this could be a little bit life changing. Research shows that such socially compliant goals give rise to motivation that is weak and ineffective. So, and he's got so much data that shows, that talks about that, that if I'm trying to do something because I think I'm supposed to, that I should, there's that concept again, or if I'm doing something because somebody else thinks that it would be important for me, go back to the sentence now, the research shows that such socially compliant goals give rise to motivation that is weak and ineffective. He says, we may try to drive our own behavior with such external goals, meaning we might try to accomplish these goals, these socially compliant goals that other people have set for us. But we also secretly resent them because they undermine our own process of unfolding. That's why it feels like, you know, this isn't something that's, you know, true if I'm trying to do someone else's goal um, because it's going to feel like it doesn't resonate with me. And, and it's not, I'm not even able to kind of be in, in control of my own process of unfolding. That's what I love that, uh, that phrase. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, the yearning for self-direction and purpose 
cannot be fully met by goal achievement since that is always either in the future, meaning I haven't met my goal yet, or in the past. Well, I already met my goal. What's next? And that's a lot of those, you know, when we set those goals of if I get a, let's say, if I make $100,000 a year, then I'll be happy. Well, okay, I get there, but it's like, was that really based on a value of mine? Because I get to that goal, that maybe that was somebody else's goal. Maybe my you know, parents said, well, you need a million dollars of, of uh, you know, additional income or, or, you know, that sort of thing. And then you'll be happy. Or in the past, you know, or, or, you know so, it, so that one's always like, well, the reason I'm not happy is I haven't met that goal yet. You know, when I get a million bucks in the bank, then I'll be happy. But it's like you're missing that whole here and now present moment. So here's the key. Values. Values are chosen qualities of being and doing. Again, one of those where let that one sit in. Values are chosen qualities of being and doing, such as being a caring parent, being a dependable friend, being socially aware, being loyal, being honest, being courageous. So living in accordance with our values is never finished. And that's not meant to be an intimidating or overwhelming concept. It's meant to be an empowering and a direction-based concept. So living in accordance with our values is never finished. I will always want to live by the value of being a caring parent, being someone who helps others, being someone who lifts others up, being authentic. Um, So living according to our values is never finished. It's a lifelong journey. And it provides a way to create enduring sources of motivation based on meaning, not just on a goal. It's on meaning. Ultimately, what your values are is up to you. They are a matter between you and the person in the mirror. And in re-listening to this episode with Monica this morning on her About Progress podcast, and really, go give that one a listen because I give some more um, specific examples of, uh, of some of these concepts. But in listening to that, you know, I told her that in my office, I've got this list of, uh, I think it's a, between some like 57 to 60 values, individual values with some just short definitions behind them. And I love to sit with a client and have them, we go over all of them. And I say, what does this one mean to you? Is this one important to you? Would you put this one as a one, as you know, something that's very important? Or would you put it more as a two, something that is fine, but maybe it's not as important. And it's a difficult exercise for people because they all sound good. And sometimes we feel bad if, you know, a certain value isn't one that's really important to us. Um, I, I gave the, I, I think I might've even done this on her podcast, but one I often give when I speak is the value of honesty. Now one would assume that we would all say that that needs to be a value of ours, but I have worked with many clients who grew up in homes where there was brutal honesty, meaning that, Hey, you do look fat in those jeans or no, I, I can't stand, you know, this, this meal tonight. And so in those homes, if that, if that isn't something that is a you know, core to your sense of self or your, you know, one of your central core values, your, you know, you as a person, then you may want to, um, in your home, you know, maybe you, you value compassion. I want to always, I'm going to be compassionate, you know, not, I'm going to be honest. I'm not, I'm not going to be, you know, so in that one, how's the meal? You know, it's pretty good. I mean, it really is because you, you, compassion is your value or how do I look in these jeans? It's like, you know what? You look amazing. And uh, because because compassion is your value. So honesty or I then I've had people that have grown up in homes. And the one I often talk about is one who grew up with an incredibly narcissistic mom who just, you know, doesn't make the, the, the truth always changes. So in that scenario, this client, they were going to be honesty was going to be their value because they grew up with just this feeling of never knowing quite what to believe. And so when they, their value, they're going to be honest, you know, again, being and doing. The last um, core principle here is action. Number six, he said it requires pivoting 
oh, maybe I should finish the thought of those guys. That values worksheet, typically what happens is you get to the end of that and you nail down four, five, six values that are very important to you. And I have people write them down. And then that's, you know, if they get in it, let's and I'll, I'll just make it such a simple example. But I, I had a client once who uh, got in a job where he thought he had a goal of making money, but he made money and he didn't, and he still didn't feel good. Well, we identified that again, I think I said this on her podcast, it wasn't that he was in a, he wasn't working for the mafia or anything, but he was maybe working in an environment where they were doing a little bit of upsell on some, you know, to a population that he didn't feel necessarily needed the products that they were trying to upsell. So he made money, he hit the goal, but he was nowhere close to his value. His value was compassion. He wanted to be compassionate. He wanted to be honest. You know, he wanted to be, um, he wanted connection with people. And so those, he was going against his values. And so you can see how that goal then did not satisfy anything for him. Um, I also had a client once who worked in a restaurant industry who um, had we identified values of being adventurous, you know, being, uh, being or seeking learning. And so he got hired at a pretty low um, position and then during breaks just went and was sought adventure, sought learning, learned everything he could about the various positions in the restaurant and rose very quickly. And, uh, and we joked on Monica's podcast and his name was Ted Denny's, you know, he started the Denny's franchise. That is absolutely incorrect. Um, he didn't go on. I think he's actually, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure what he does now for a living, but so that's the concept of the values. So you either want to try to work toward your values or work your values into the situation that you're in, because then you're going to feel like this is something that is, you know, it's never finished a lifelong journey. It's uh, creating enduring sources of motivation based on meaning, not just on some goal, um, that you're going to hit and then say, all right, that didn't do it. All right, the last one, action. Requires pivoting from avoidant persistence to committed action. Redirects the yearning to be competent. All right, here's what he says about this, uh, Dr. Hayes. We are always building larger patterns of action known as habits. When we think about building habits, we tend to focus on perfect outcomes. And again, here's a little bit of that all or nothing or black or white thinking that we, we often do. He says such as quitting smoking entirely, hard stop. He said, in fact, habit building is a moment-by-moment process. If we try to change our habits in one fell swoop, our efforts tend to lead to procrastination and inaction, impulsivity, or avoidant persistence and workaholism. The action pivot focuses us instead on the process of competently and continuously building habits in small steps linked to the construction of larger habits of loving, caring, participating, creating, or any other chosen value. And, and let me just kind of end with a flurry, and I'll try to, I'll try to make this quick. Um, this one speaks so much to me because what I feel that I run into in my practice often are people that are trying to change some pretty big habits. Maybe it's uh, maybe it is uh, pornography or compulsive sexual behavior, or you know just just habits that they know that are not um, helping them live the life that they they believe that they could be living or should be living or have always wanted to live. And so these habits, these negative habits, have them stuck. So I love that he says, you know, when we think about building habits, we often think that it has to be perfect outcomes. But really what we're trying to do is pivot, pivot based on on our values, Um, recognize these stories that our brain is trying to hook us to and fuse us to, learning how to be in this present moment. And if we do that, we can, we can, we can pivot away from these negative behaviors. We've got some deep neural pathways dug into our brains at times. So there are still going to be triggers. Or if we let our foot off the gas, or if we stop paying attention, or, or if we stop being in the present moment, then those, we might, we might relapse and whatever that means to you and whatever the habit is, but we might go back to some of these negative behaviors. But the key is, that you know we uh, we're processing that, that we're working on the process of competently and continuously building habits in small steps, and those will lead to the larger habits. As you take a pivot. 
toward a, a, a more value-based action, it will feel good. I mean, and, and actually there might be times where it doesn't feel as good as you want it to be because your brain is, afra- is afraid you're going to, you're going to kind of take away its, you know, it's uh, easy dopamine supply. You know, it, it's afraid that you're going to pivot so well that you're not going to have this um, indulgent, you know, impulsive addiction that you can turn back to that gives you an immediate reward system. So, the, the, and this is why I love doing this before the end of the year because we're gonna you're coming up on New Year's you're gonna probably make a resolution or two and and I've got a whole episode I'll probably try to re-air on New Year's resolutions and acceptance and commitment therapy so if you set those resolutions now on things that you know value based or things that really matter to you and it doesn't have to just be this goal of I'll do this eight times or I'll do this whatever but I'm gonna start living by my values and as I start living by my values sure there are gonna be times where I might you know slip back to old patterns of behavior. But when I notice that, I'm going to get, I'm going to, you know, help myself become more present and just kind of gently, you know, pivot, get back on the path to the direction I really want to go. And I'm not going to hook to these stories of, oh, you blew it again, or see, I told you you couldn't do it, because those aren't productive. You know, we're not even debating if there's true or false, you know, or whatever it is. But I'm going to continue to just move purposely based on these values of being and doing. All right, I could go on and on and on. I really could, but uh, I was excited to put this one together. I hope this makes sense. Um, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, go ahead and send it to me at contact at tonyoverbay.com. And if I still have your attention right now, um, if you like this one, share it, please. I mean, I think that these concepts really can change lives, and I think that they can feel um, they can feel empowering right now. I hope if you feel something right now that you uh, I don't know, go go buy Dr. Hayes's book. Go listen to a couple other podcasts I've done on acceptance and commitment therapy. I learned the other day if you Google, I think Tony Overbay and acceptance and commitment therapy, it'll take you to a part of my website that then has that that acceptance and commitment therapy tagged, and it'll give you all the episodes that that I might have um, talked about that on. Go listen to Monica's episode on about progress. Uh, just for fun, go listen to that marriage theriyaki. Hear a little bit about uh, narcissism and what your relationship maybe could be. And, uh, and I, I am so grateful for the support in this year. I'm saying it as if I will not be recording another podcast. I will, uh, again, still in 2019, but it's been phenomenal. I mean, just, uh, it's like, yeah, I get choked up, <laughs> but I'm just so grateful for the support, the feedback. Um, you know, it's led to a book deal. Um, it's led to a couple of book deals. It's led, you know, I'm hearing people on another podcast say that, uh, that some of the things that, um, maybe I was able to share helped them. And I look back on that at times and think about, um, 10 years in a career that I didn't find fulfilling that wasn't kind of based on my values and just being able to make that change, how scary that change was. But 15 years later, I, I just can't imagine doing anything else. So didn't expect to be getting a little sappy there at the end, but uh, hey, uh, <laughs> I, I promised myself I won't edit today. So, all right, have a wonderful week, wonderful weekend, and I will see you next time on The Virtual Catch. Flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's one